Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, and we are now fully geared up for the next holiday, the winter meetings. Coming up fast, they begin December 9th in Las Vegas. Hopefully a lot of activity to keep us all busy there. The Yankees have been active already before the calendar hits December. They re-upped with CeCe Sabathia and Brett Gardner, which to most fans doesn't feel like anything because they aren't new players. The first big move to bring in a new player came earlier this month when the Yankees traded Justice Sheffield and two other prospects to Seattle for James Paxton. The 30-year-old left-hander has been one of the most intriguing pitchers in the game because of his ability. He has battled some odd injuries that have kept him from booming to the top of the list when talking about the league's best pitchers. But he's clearly a guy that was in demand when the Mariners decided to listen to offers for him. Every baseball insider will tell you that Paxton is a really good pitcher who, if he adds the durability of a 30-start season, can become a great pitcher. To learn more about Paxton, I reached out this week to Mel Stottlemyre Jr., our guest on 30 with Murdy. Mel Jr. was the pitching coach of the Mariners the last three seasons, so he knows Paxton better than anyone else in the game today. Before joining the Mariners, Mel worked in Arizona with a young Patrick Corbin, and you'll hear his thoughts on that free agent left-hander as well. And Mel also shares with us the health update on his father, Mel Stottlemyre, the longtime former pitching coach with the Mets and Yankees, honored by the Yankees with a plaque in Monument Park at Old Timers Day ceremonies in 2015. Here on New 30 with Murdy is Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Mel, as you know, the Yankees traded for James Paxton, who you got to work with for the last couple of years. What can you tell Yankee fans about the pitcher they're getting? Well, I mean, the first thing, I, I still feel like James's better days are, are ahead of him. He's, we all know of the upside and the tools and everything that he possesses, uh, and he's still learning. And, you know, at, at 30 years old, uh, this guy's still not in his prime. I, I just, when he's out there and he's healthy, you know, which has been one of his his uh, dilemmas, I guess, so to speak. Uh, he can really impact the game. I know with with him going there and being around guys like CC and guys that have done it, uh, the impact he's going to have on that ball club. And I wish him nothing but the best. He's been in all the years that I've been in the game of baseball. He has been bar none my favorite guy to work with. And uh, you know, I say that just watching how the the growth and the pitcher and the man that he's he's become today and how he can change the game uh they're getting a really not only a really really good person but they're getting a great pitcher we've seen all the numbers and you know you talked about the health and i'll get into that but when you talk about work ethic, I assume has a lot to do. When a coach ta- tells me what you just told me about Paxton being so, one of your favorites like that, it tells me work ethic is a is a big factor. What can you tell me about that? Well, there's you know a lot of things, and 
for the guys that have spent time working with pitching staffs. We know there's a lot of things that go into it. and You know, you spend the time and you get to know your pupils. And the, the one thing the first year that I got to work with Pax, uh, the first thing that jumped jumped out at me is uh, this guy's a grinder, you know, and, and at times in trying to find ways to, to keep him healthy, uh, we had to pull the reins back with this guy. He was always challenging himself. He's, he's a perfectionist. He drives himself. He doesn't need others to, to push him. So it was a balance of just trying to, to not do too much with packs. And over the course of this last season, we really found a great routine as far as what we did in between, you know, try to keep him healthy. And he had some unfortunate uh, incidents or things that had happened that, costing some games and some innings, but you know, this, this guy's a, a pitching coach's dream, just how he prepares with the video work that he does, the, the physical work that he does in between to keep himself ready and has really become a student of the game. And he's really learned that over the last couple of years. And that takes time. It takes time for, for young pitchers. And I, you know, although he is 30 years old, he's still learning and, uh, you know, we were still at a point where we we're still trying to build his innings up and get him to a point to where he could make 34 starts and, and be that guy that everybody thought he was capable of being. And I, he's on his way. You know, if we would have taken a couple of the things that happened out last year and, and added those starts to his 160 innings, uh, you know, he, he'd be a different guy and he's, he's figuring it out. He's right there. What are some of the things that you introduced this past year for his between starts that you saw had a big impact? Well, the first thing, and, and you know, this guy has always been very proactive in, in the offseason and try and find ways to, you know, succumb some of the, the injuries and some of the things that he's done through over the course of the season. So we really paid attention to evaluating his outings into, you know, under, understanding what high leverage pitches and innings were and high, high leverage outings and pitch counts and all that. And we took that and tried to balance it with what we did in between with his bullpens because Pax is always a guy that loved to feel work. And, uh, you know, we all know what he did between the lines, but there was times that he overdid it in his bullpen sessions. And would, uh, throw 45 to 50 high, you know, high impact high-velocity leverage pitches in his bullpen and wanting to feel that work. So we we balanced that with just sitting down and having an understanding what type of out, outing we had and being able to balance that. And then the other thing is, you know, we started to add some analytics and some numbers to, uh, you know, to, to better leverage his, his better pitches. And that's something that you learn over innings and, uh, you know, situations of the game that all young pitchers go through. And some guys never get to a point to where they can understand that. And uh, Paxis last year has a, has a really broad understanding of what he has and what he needs to do. And, you know, we all know that over the course of 34 starts, guys don't know what's going to have their stuff. And uh, I saw a lot of times where he was able to go out and, and keep himself in games and keep the club in a position to win the game with, with his not a stuff. So, um, 
He's on his way. He has, he has a really good understanding of where his best fastball plays, uh, the use of the secondary stuff. You know, he can read barrels. He studies videos. He's a complete guy. He just needs that next level and that next step of staying healthy over 34 starts. Yeah, when Brian Cashman talked about acquiring a guy that had the injury history that he did, he said the, the plus side is it's not elbows, it's not shoulders. How frustrating was it to all of you, and I'm, I guess him specifically, but to all of you that these injuries kind of kept uh, his progress from from going as quickly as you'd hoped? Well, uh, to be honest with you, uh, it <laughs> didn't frustrate me as much as I think maybe the organization and sometimes fans, you know, when you're, when you're at that level and everybody knows what he was capable of doing and having that high ceiling, you know, the expectations that, that goes with that guy, uh, it carries some added pressure. So I always knew, and, you know, and I went through this process of growing these innings and these outings with him. And I tried to stay, stay patient and, uh, you know, just try to, to teach him more about himself and try to find things that we can do to keep himself healthy. But with that being said, you know, when you have that ceiling and you have that impact that that frontline starter tapped on you, you know, the expectations go up. So, you know, I, I too, dug some dug in and, and searched and tried to find with all the little things that he had. And they were never really injuries that would keep him from pitching or keep him out too long. They were always little nagging blisters. Uh, you know, the the big blow this last year was he, he took a comebacker off his forearm. I mean, it, it happens. It's uh, it's the game of baseball. It's it it's what goes on between the lines, and certainly there was no way to to avoid that. Uh, the other one was swinging a bat, and you know, uh, the, very few people. Uh, other, you know, other than uh, a few of us that are on the inside, really understand that uh, the impact that the the little swing in the bat incident, hmm. pulling of the the rib cage muzzle. I mean, this guy continued to pitch when really he probably shouldn't have been out there, and I think that shows some toughness on on his side. So I, I get it, and uh, you know, the numbers and all of that didn't. Uh, reach people's expectations and sometimes it, it let them down i i obviously had a broad understanding of what he was dealing with and i think that says a lot about his character and the the will to want to win and and to be out there and, and compete for his club mel what the next statement i'm going to make probably offends a few people in the game but i know you know as well as anybody what i'm talking about here there is a difference between being a number one type of guy in Seattle and being a number one type of guy in New York. You've seen it. Uh, yep. How prepared is he for what's to come? Well, here's what we know about Yankee Stadium. You know, we, we, we understand the, the impact of, of every game and what goes with that organization. I mean, you're talking about the greatest, you know, sports club in, in the history of, of sports. So that alone creates pressure for players and I know you know having watching my dad all the years not only pitch there and be there as a coach and kind of be in between and and listen uh it's a tough place so I I can tell you one thing about James is he relishes competition uh he he drives like no other and 
he's pushed himself to be that frontline guy in a very low impact city. Uh, you know, and yet there was expectations. So he's always for me, you know, other than Felix having a guy that's, that's done it in over the last couple, three or four years, you know, we know Felix's stuff is kind of down on a downslide. He's needed some guys around him that can kind of show him the way uh, and, and how to deal with things like that because it is going to be something new. And there, there's going to be a huge expectation for James Paxson to go out and, and dominate. There's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be up for it. And, uh, you know, until you jump in and experience it, it's hard to prepare for it. We didn't get an opportunity to, to go to the playoffs in the three years that I spent with them. And we certainly know that's a different level. But he's pitched in Boston. He's pitched in, in Yankee Stadium. You saw him this last year where he made a few mistakes and gave up two home runs. Uh, there's no doubt he's going to be able to handle it. And he's going to have a great support staff around him. He's um, he's a guy I think everybody here is looking forward to. We talked a little bit about Andy Pettit when people talked about comparisons. I think James throws harder. It's an easy comparison to make with the left-hander, some similarities in the delivery. Is that a fair comparison just as far as technique and and attacking, or is there somebody else that kind of pops into your head when you think about him? No, you know, when I – and and I think Andy Pettit's a, a great comparison – and I know their stuff might be a little different, but you know they had they both had that high front side. They they both uh, were tenacious workers, and Andy was one of my dad's very favorite. And yeah. when you're talking about being a favorite, you know, from from a pitching coach that's been around for a long time, you're doing a lot of good things. And I know one thing about my dad; he loves workers. So there is a lot of comparisons. <clears throat> you know the. Uh, Looking at the stuff, you know, Paxton, Paxton's got that high fastball that he can run it up to the high 90s. I've seen him get 100. Mm. And uh, he, he, he has a curveball that he can, he can throw off that same plane, and he's got that wipeout cutter. So he's really, this last couple of years, he's really learned the, the value of, of having those weapons and how to use them and how they impact you know, high leverage pitches and situations and how to get in and out of jam. So that's something that Andy was really good at. You know, Andy stayed healthy uh, right. for a lot of years and was the guy in, in New York that I think that everybody looked up to and, and could count on. And I think Pax is just in the beginning phase, phases of, of, that, uh, of that development part. So he's, like I said, he's still learning. Uh, he's in a much better place over this last year from where he was a few years ago where I'm not going to say he was in the search mode, but he was still learning about himself. And uh, you get that with innings, experience, you know, starts, games, getting your butt kicked, hmm. pitching in big games, and you learn all those things as a young pitcher that eventually will help shape you and mold you. Mel, you have a little history with one of the other guys that's on the market right now that the Yankees have had some interest in, and uh, there's a possibility he ends up here as well. Patrick Corbin is a free agent from Arizona. Uh, before joining the Mariners, you spent some years in the Arizona organization. What can you tell me about Patrick Corbin and kind of the same kind of the same stuff we're talking about here with Paxton? His you know what he does and what his ability might be to pitch here. 
Oh, you sound like you're fishing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you what. Those, those are two guys in the same mold, out of, that come out of the same mold. Hmm. Uh, and I know Patrick Corbin put together a, a phenomenal year this year. And, you know, he, he probably in his younger days or coming up probably didn't have that feeling of a guy like James Paxton. But I, I would throw him into the category of all the, the things that Andy Pettit does and, and what what made him and defined him. I would throw Patrick Corbin in that in that group as well. Uh, that would be a devastating rotation with a, an unbelievable offensive ball club. And you could sign me up to uh, choose the Yankees to win that division. <laughs> that would be uh, that would be the next uh, stop. You like his mentality? I mean, same thing. You know, pitching out west and not a lot of attention throughout the course of his career. <clears throat> you like you would like his ability to pitch in this environment? Well, you know, the one thing that you don't know that people don't know about players, and, and you know, unless you've gotten in the trenches with them and actually took the time to where they trust you and you got to learn about them. You know, there's uh, there's some little defined uh, attributes or strengths or whatever you want to call them that, that guys, they either possess or they don't. They're, they're big game pitchers or they're not. They're hard workers or, or they don't work hard. You know, they're, they, they push themselves or they're a guy that needs to have their foot up somebody's booty sometime. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick's that guy. And, you know, he's, I tell you what, the kids from the Northeast, and that's where he's from, yeah. he's from back that way, are tough, tough kids. And uh, when I was in, in player development, you know, you look at where Clint, <clears throat> kids come from demographically and you look at their upbringing and what drives them and makes them tick and, you know, the, the ability to work through trouble and not cave. I mean, he's, he's that guy. Uh, I love Patrick Corbin. I, I, I know at one time when I was over in Seattle, they mentioned his name and my eyeball about popped out. <laughs> Thinking of the, the possibility of, of having a guy at that magnitude. So no, they have not pitched in, in Yankee Stadium and in, in that environment. And they've been out west where things are a little quieter, but, uh, He's got the makings to be to be that guy if if they can get him, and uh, he's another one. Like I say, that he's a lot like James as far as his work habits, and he's had some good teachers over there. You know, I had Dan Heron this last year who does a wonderful job with the scouting reports and game planning, and so he's a, he's not only a bright guy; he's got all the physical tools and preparation and everything it takes to be a good one. Mel, I know that New York has always been kind of a home away from home for you because of all the years your dad spent here. And you really both fan bases, the Mets and the Yankees fans, uh, owe a lot to him and, and what he did in helping bring championships here. Uh, it's been a couple of years since we saw him here. I think Old Timers Day a few years ago uh, where he was honored. Uh, there was some other ceremonies the last couple of years that I know he wasn't able to make. For the fans that are listening that, you know, followed along with your dad's story. What can you tell us about him health-wise and, and how he's been doing? Well, you know, we all know the disease has been fighting since 2000, and he just, he's continuing the battle. We're, uh, we're trying, and we're in new trial studies with different drugs, and he's in uncharted territory. 
when he uh, was diagnosed with myeloma, you know, they gave him three to four years to live, and he's 18 years down the road. So I, I can only tell you uh, what what New York and what the fans and everything has meant to him. It, it really does keep pushing him in life. He still talks about the day that we all went back and, and they called him out there and put his number out, you know, out in center field and the impact that it's had on him. He still talks about that day. I think of all the great things that he's done in the game <clears throat> in New York, both as a pitcher and a coach, that that day was probably the most special for him and, and the family as well. So, you know, he's got some ups and downs and rides that roller coaster. But his favorite thing, you know, other than his family and, and what he's done for the state of New York, his favorite thing in life to do is, is fish. So that's kind of the thing that when he gets down and he's going through some tough times, we talk about that and then it pushes him to, to keep going and try to have some quality of life. But uh, he's really, really hoping, and I talked to my mom about this over Thanksgiving, to try to get back to another old-timers game. Mm. You, can I tell you a little secret? I, I'm i so glad it didn't happen, but I almost ruined the secret for him on Old Timers Day because I saw him <laughs> in the dugout, and we were just chatting for a minute, and I, I almost said to him, hey, good luck, enjoy this, and something told me, wait a second, I think this is a surprise. Uh, so I just kind of shook his hand and walked away, and I'm so glad I didn't say anything. I kept thinking after, I mean, to this day, I'm still thinking, man, I almost blew that whole thing, but it sounds like that was such a special day. <laughs> you know what? He he was completely thrown off and so <laughs> surprised, and, you know, I had asked for, for uh for permission from Arizona to take the day off. I knew how special this was going to be for the family and for my dad. And uh, I was over in the opposing dugout kind of watching and looking over from the other side, and I already knew what was going to happen. And he had no idea. He was so oblivious to it. And uh, I, I think he was right at the tail end. Mm-hmm. He had already called everybody out, and he might have looked over. I think he said something to Gino. And he goes, you know, what's going on? I think they left me out. <laughs> and uh, and then they called his name out. Man, that was so cool. So cool. Um, you know, um, the the town uh, or the city of New York and the, the Yankees organization and how they treat their people is second to none. And, man, they've really, really taken care of my dad and our family. You know, Mel, um, I know that, you know, you mentioned maybe coming to an old timers day. There's another day that's happening next July where, you know, Mariano Rivera is on the hall of fame ballot. And I think we all know that he's going to get in here. Um, and that they're going to, there's going to be a wonderful day to celebrate him in Cooperstown next July. Uh, do you have that circle on the calendar? I know you guys have both taken a few rides on your boat mowing the ninth. Uh, have, have you guys <laughs> talked about circling that date on the calendar and, and maybe making a trip for that? Well, I, I will, and I'm going to pass it on. You know, uh, my mom, set, you know, does all his scheduling and stuff. And there's there's times when, you know, the chemo is really set in, and we call it, you know, chemo brain, where my dad just doesn't uh, doesn't know the days, and even on some cases, doesn't even know what year it is. And I, I know it sounds terrible, but it just kind of it goes with the territory and and the disease he's fighting. But I'm going to circle circle that day, and I can tell you. 
you know, when <clears throat> when you sit down and you talk with my dad about the favorite people and, and all the greats that he's coached, you know, you mentioned one, Danny Pettit, and the other is Mariano Rivera. And when my dad retired, I remember Joe Torrey called me up and they, they talked about getting him a ring. And I thought, you know what? The ring would be special. It would go in his, in his uh, safe. But if you really want to hit a home run with my pops, his, pa- his second passion of life behind baseball is fishing. And so they, they built the boat. Mo stepped up, Jeter, uh, Joe, and I think Zim was in on it. Uh, Gino, and there was, there were some others that all divvied up and we built my dad a boat and we called it Mo in the Night. So <laughs> they all had a little personal saying on there. It's, they still sit there today. And when he gets an opportunity to go out and fish, I guarantee he looks at those and reflects back and realizes what a wonderful life and career he's had. Mel, you are not coming back next year. You had three years as the Mariners pitching coach. Can you reflect on that a little bit? And how <laughs> how disappointed are you that you're not coming back? Well, you know how baseball is and and how things work out. It's It seems like managers and pitching coaches are always on the hot seat and we had a we had a good season. We were right right at uh, ninety wins, and yeah, there was some disappointment. You know, it, it doesn't things just the way that they work out in the game, and and sometimes you get difference of opinions, and you have differences, and and you have to part ways. Uh, never regretted going to Seattle. You know, it gave me an opportunity to spend three years with my uh, with my family. Something I hadn't done. I've been in Arizona for eighteen years. Uh, I, I've got. I've gone through a few interviews this winter. I'm getting ready to fly down to a place tomorrow that I think both the club and myself might be serious about uh, going to work for. And uh, I won't mention that club now, but I still have passion and fire to to keep coaching and doing my thing in the game. And my family still wants me to keep keep doing that as well. So uh, it was good times. I have I have no regrets. That's fantastic. Listen, I, I, I want to ask you one other thing about um, a member of your, the guy that you coached with is also kind of on the border here and, and I think is going to get into the Hall of Fame this year, but Edgar Martinez, uh, sh- you shared some time with him these last couple of years. What, you know, yeah, I mean, he was somewhat of a contemporary and I know you know what he did as a player. When you look back at your time spent with him and what this might mean to him, what do you think about the possibility of Edgar Martinez calling himself a Hall of Famer in a few weeks? Well, the one thing about Edgar, if you get to know him, is you, you know really, oh, how proud he is uh, as a man and, uh, you know, as, as a guy that impacted the game in, in the DH position. And he's very humble. He's a lot like my dad. He never likes to talk about himself or what he's done in this game. And I learned a lot in the three years sitting next to him in in his locker and just admiring the the patience that he has with players and the respect that the guys that he worked with, that kind of that look in their eye and, and that mutual respect that they had for each other. And, you know, Edgar was, uh, Edgar was a special talent, just how he, his thought process and, People don't re- realize, and although he was a DH, the the tireless work that he put into to his trade, and you know he doesn't he doesn't talk about being a Hall of Famer much. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's uh, we 
did a little tribute to him last year when they retired his his number, and uh, it, it, he was almost uh, a little embarrassed. You know, he just he doesn't need that that credit for people to put him up on a pedestal. Although we know, being baseball people and fans, what what he did for the game and how he impacted it, and what a great person and what a great coach. And I know he stepped. He stepped down this year, uh, along with Scott Brocious, and uh, is gonna gonna impact the organization in a different different capacity now. But still staying involved. But one of my, you know, I've been been coaching for for quite a while now. But one of my all time favorite uh, coach mates, just uh, completely respect and admire the man. Mel, uh, thanks for all the insight here. Uh... And I know New York fans are going to appreciate it. And for all the fans in New York who uh, have a lot of admiration for your dad and your mom, for that matter, please give them all a a big hug from all of us here in New York. Thank you. Sweeney, I I appreciate it. We love the, uh, we love New York and what they've meant to our family. And that'll never go away. Our thanks to Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Hope to see him back with another team soon. One thing I've spoken with him about before, but didn't get to here was when Mel Jr. made his Major League debut in 1990, it came in a pretty spectacular game. It was in July 1990 at Yankee Stadium, Royals versus the Yankees. It was the game in which Bo Jackson hit three home runs for Kansas City before diving for a ball and leaving the game with a dislocated shoulder. That ball that he dove for was hit by Deion Sanders, and it got past Bo's dive and went for an inside-the-park home run. That home run was given up by Mel Jr. in his first Major League inning. More on that another time. Thank you all for listening. Head to iTunes for our archive and check out past episodes. You can also find us at WFAN.com and the Radio.com app. Until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.